everyone. Welcome to An Academic's Life, and I am your host, Genesee Carter. In this week's episode, I want to dive a little bit into the concept of authenticity, because this is something that I have struggled with in that I've not felt like I could be authentic and who I truly am in academic spheres, and I know a lot of you also feel this way. And many of you may even just ask yourself on a regular basis, how much of myself can I truly be or how much of myself am I allowed to be because I must perform for, you know, getting a job or going along with a group think or, you know, the social norms or cultural norms or departmental norms. Um, And you might feel stifled about who you are, what you want to do. And and this does not even necessarily mean around politics or religion or science or any kind of hot topic like that. It could just simply be you don't feel like you can relax and be your total self or you don't feel like you can be honest about your area of research that you want to study with either your dissertation advisors or a committee that you're on. Um, Or you don't feel like you can write genuinely and honestly in your annual evaluations and you feel like you have to perform for the readers. I don't have any easy answers for you around authenticity, which is why I want to just read a little bit from Bill Plotkin's book called Soul Craft, Crossing into the Mysteries of Nature and Psyche. Bill Plotkin has a PhD from the University of Colorado at Boulder in psychology, and he calls himself a depth psychologist. And he has a section on learning to choose authenticity over social acceptance. And so I just want to read a couple of short paragraphs here that he's written because I want us to genuinely and honestly and authentic, um, if I could actually use my words, authentically think about how we're showing up and who we feel like we are able to be in academia and also all of the other communities and groups that we are in. So let's dive straight into this. He says that So earlier in the chapter, he talks about being a loyal soldier, which I think is something that we probably all need to Google and learn more about because the loyal soldier syndrome is so popular in academia and any kind of system, really, where one takes on the responsibilities or fits in with the group out of loyalty and wanting to show themselves that they're capable and worth being a member of the group. But taken to extremely, the loyal soldier can affect our authenticity, where we must feel like we must be loyal to our institution or department or a program change above all else. And that that loyalty, that extreme loyalty can erode our sense of authenticity. So he writes... 
Within the bounds of what your loyal soldier would permit, you learn to distinguish what is true about yourself from what is not, gradually becoming clearer about your genuine attitudes, interests, styles, desires, values, and emotions. You learned you could act in accordance with or contrary to your understanding of yourself. Authenticity, you discovered, is a decision and a skill. You learned to distinguish authenticity from deception and learned about self-deception as well. When push came to shove, however, you probably treated social acceptance as more essential to your life than authenticity. It was. As you were acquiring social skills, you needed to fit in with your peers and establish a social identity that worked. Social acceptance was the essential foundation for later soulful development. Even when you weren't afraid of being rejected, you made some choices on the basis of conformity or group uh, conscientiousness. You went along with the crowd because it was easier and because often you didn't know what you really wanted. And then I'm going to skip ahead to a little bit more about authenticity. He writes, distinguishing authenticity from deception at any stage of life requires the ability to access and understand your emotions, desires, and values. But the more advanced practice of choosing authenticity over social acceptance requires something more. You must tell yourself and your intimate others the truth, all of it, as deep as you can, especially when it's difficult. Now, time out. I'm just going to say that he says here to tell yourself and your intimate others the truth. And I just want to mention, obviously, I'm not a therapist, but you should decide who you are going to tell your truth about your authenticity to, and those people should be safe. So if you feel like it's going to be weaponized against you, or people are not going to hear you, or they're going to manipulate it, or they're going to gaslight you, and they really aren't going to genuinely listen to you, those people are probably unsafe. But of course, talk to your therapist about it. Um, or a trusted confidant who knows the people in your group. Just, I think it's, sometimes we feel, especially, mm, I'll just speak from my experience. As a woman in the United States, I feel like I've been raised or within this culture of sharing more information that is act, than is actually like healthy or safe for me. But a lot of people, even women themselves, people who identify as women, expect more explanation or details from women. And they tend to ask why a lot more. They wanna know the reasons and answers for things. And I think women, um, at least in my experience, are raised to overshare. And so I'm actually learning to not do that because most people are unsafe. And most people don't earn or deserve my deepest truth about myself because they are unsafe. Okay, going back to Bill. What you express is from the heart and intended to serve both yourself and others. You must adopt the practice of making all your actions align with what you know to be emotionally and spiritually true. Okay, final paragraph I wanna read. A key authenticity practice is to stop pleasing others at the expense of your own integrity. If the important others in your life, at home, at work, at play, in spiritual community, need you to be someone you are not, e.g., that is, 
a carefree confidant, a charmer, a rescuer, a victim, a bad boy, a scholar, a hometown hero, a pleaser, a homeboy, a loser, everybody's mother, you will have to surrender your impulse to keep living your life for them. You will have to relinquish your willingness to make major life decisions just to take care of them emotionally or to win their approval. All right. So where does this show up in an academic's life or in my academic's life? Well, you've heard me talk a lot about my upbringing. So struggling with wanting to please people. And one of the things that I've learned more about childhood development through my therapist is that as children and as teenagers, we want people to keep us safe. So we often will please others or stay in the group because biologically, evolutionarily, we don't want to be cast out of the group. We don't want to lose our housing. We don't want to lose our food. We don't want to be rejected. And so we often take on pleasing others to say, stay safe, you know, so and, and safety can be physical safety. It can also be emotional safety. It could be financial safety. Um, it could be social safety. So not being, you know, the black sheep of the group or not being ridiculed or not being emotionally cast out. Um, or, you know, whatever, whatever reasons that we feel that, that we need to be protected. Children do this. Teenagers do this. People, you know, who don't, teenagers who don't have their own sources of income or ways to make money or ways of transportation or, you know, where are they going to live? They often don't act with authenticity. They people please because they want to stay safe. And that I think is not necessarily an act of deception, though in some instances it is truly not safe to be honest with the people that you live with or your family members. But from a young age, we learn that, you know, our parents are supposed to take care of us or the adults in our lives are supposed to keep us safe. And we want to keep those people on our side. So we try not to get in trouble and we try to keep them happy and we try to placate them and obviously your mileage may vary in any situation but a lot of people you know just evolutionarily are are raised to want to stay safe and to people please instinctively or not consciously or not and so those habits and those tendencies transition over into our professional lives and our social lives. When we're in a graduate program, we don't want to be kicked out of that graduate program. We want professors to work with us. We want fellow graduate students to get along with us. And so in my own graduate program, my PhD program, I felt like I, I, felt like I was a 12-year-old having to be on my best behavior. I felt like I had to be careful about, you know, what I said. I had to be careful about how I behaved. I mean, I'm a good kid, but I still felt like I had to present my best self for five years. And it was a huge struggle. You know, I felt like I needed to say the right things. I felt like I needed to be the right person. At that point in time, I was still an evangelical Christian Republican. And so there was just a lot of things that I did not say in classes that I at that time believed to be true 
because I didn't feel that it was safe. I knew that it wasn't going to be safe. I was going to be criticized. Or even if people didn't criticize me, I knew that they would look at me differently. And they would talk about me behind my back. You know, oh, Genesee, that evangelical Republican, you know, blah, 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 blah. People did. People did. And even one of my professors, who shall remain nameless, made a joke that they wouldn't I think I said in class, you know, I, I, what's the best word for this? I practiced little bits of authenticity to see how people would react. You know, I threw out like little crumbs. So in one of the classes that I was in, I actually admitted to being an evangelical Christian Republican because I was feeling strong that day and I wanted to see how people would react. And one of the professors who I worked closely with jokingly they did not say it meanly but jokingly they said well then I wouldn't have voted for you to be accepted into the PhD program and I know that it was a joke but it still really hurt my feelings and it reminded me that there were some people who weren't safe right Um, and so it affected how I interacted with others And when we don't feel like we can live authentically, I mean, just all kinds of stuff can happen. I mean, we just lose the love of what we're doing. We lose the interest in what we're doing. We lose the joy for life. We lose, I mean, there's just so much that we lose when we are people pleasing or don't feel like we can be honest. Now, I'm just going to say, like, we live in a broken world. I mean, Everybody probably needs therapy and are dealing with deep traumas. And we can't, it would be unrealistic to go through life just expecting that everybody can accept our authenticity and our our safe people. Most people are not safe people. And so we have to think about how are we going to live authentically while also recognizing the realities of the world in which we live. And so we have to make choices. We have to make choices for when we're going to speak up or when we're going to set boundaries or when we're going to bring our personality. I remember, so when I was 21, I worked at a very popular Christian summer camp in California where like all the cool kids went. It was pretty expensive to attend and I think only went once ever in my life as a camper But I worked as a security guard, go figure. People look at me and just think like I should be in law enforcement or something. My husband keeps on telling me I should become a detective. Uh, But I worked as a security guard and it was like me and another woman, also my age, probably, I don't know, 21, 22, 23. And all of these dudes who were also our same ages and... I remember at one point, one of the guys a couple weeks into the summer pulled me aside and told me that none of the other guys like my personality. Yep, that's what I remember him saying to me. And he said, they don't like the way I talk. They don't like my laugh. They don't like the energy that I bring. And I was devastated. Not because... I was being this fake person, but I actually thought 
that I was in a space where I would be treated equally and could bring my personality. Now, granted, let's be honest, I don't fit, I I never fit into the typical evangelical Christian girl teenager role. I mean, all of those people around me were like, I want to get married at 18 and have 700 children and be a wife. That's the only thing I ever want to do. And so that was not, I was not interested in being submissive. I wasn't interested in being cutesy. I wasn't interested in being quiet, you know, and catching, you know, the the pastor's son as the husband and just being a stay-at-home mom. That was not, that was not my interest at all. And so I had an opinionated personality. I I brought confidence. I brought, you know, I I said what I wanted to say. I wasn't obnoxious about it, but I wasn't going to be quiet about it. And they just did not, they did not like my version of authenticity at that time. And it was crushing. It was crushing. And it was a big lesson in teaching me, well, I would say the, the downfall of that experience is I had a terrible summer and, you know, who wants to be told that nobody likes you? I mean, that's just not fun. But it made me feel like I couldn't be myself. I think it was the real, the first real experience of people saying, hey, you know, these these groups of people don't like you and feeling that rejection. And then my internal response was, okay, I'm just going to shut down. And so my coping mechanism was to shut down and that's what I've done in a lot of areas of my life when I don't feel like it's safe to be authentic. I just shut down because I don't know, what's the point? What's the point of trying to be authentic or partially authentic around people who are jerks and aren't going to give you a chance? So I know that many of you have had those experiences where you have shut down and you may be in graduate programs where you've shut down or you may be in departments where you shut down and My hope for you, just like my hope for me, is to recognize that most people are not safe for us to be authentic with. But it is important, even if that's true, even if our departments are not totally safe, whether we're graduate students or faculty, in what ways can you be authentic? Maybe you can't be a thousand percent authentic. Maybe you can be five percent authentic. For me, I'm practicing that in saying a little bit of my professional truths, sharing my opinions, sharing my feelings about things, saying what I believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, a little bit every time. And I'm very closely watching how others are reacting. How are they reacting to it? Now, here's, this is what I want to say. Going back to authenticity and integrity. You may need to say something. Whether it's an opinion about curriculum or it's research on pedagogy or it's a new initiative. You may need to say something because it is true to your integrity to say what needs to be said. And everyone else is going to disagree with you. And you are going to have to decide, are you going to say what you need to say 
for your integrity or are you going to let the opportunity pass by? And I am not going to judge you on one way or another about how you handle that situation. That's really something for you to decide. You know, you may need to pick and choose the areas in which you are going to show up authentically and also with integrity, things that are important to you. And you have to, you're going to have to decide what moments you want to be authentic. And there may be some moments where you're just like, I am freaking tired and I don't feel like getting the ire of everybody, you know, for me to say this thing. So I'm not going to say it now. I'm going to find another time to say it or I'll put it in an email or I'll just tell that one person. I'll tell the committee chair because I don't have the energy to say it in front of this group of people. That actually may be incredibly smart. I mean, we have to listen to our bodies. If our bodies and our anxiety and our brain are just like, don't say it now, you might need to listen to that. On the other hand, there might be opportunities in which you know you are going to receive the ire or sass or saltiness or rudeness of people, and and this is what I'm dealing with in my own life is, and in the workplace, is saying things that are important to me because it's important to my integrity in the workplace and things that I believe are right and true and important for us to do. And people give me attitudes because of it. And in the moment, it hurts. And in the moment, my response is like, God, like we need to be following procedure. Why are you giving me an attitude about this? Right? Like I get personally offended and I take it, I take it personal, but I know that I can't stay silent. And I know that if I'm going to practice living authentically, I need to be able to voice those moments when my integrity is important and who I am is important. And it can be really scary to try to live authentically, especially if you've had a lot of walls up and you're afraid of people's reactions. So just start small. Just start small and in an instance, laugh, right? Some of us, some of us uh, are not going to laugh in work. That's me. I will not laugh in a lot of workplace settings because I didn't want to be taken less seriously. So I will say, you know what? It's authentic for me to have a sense of humor and to be funny and to laugh. And I'm going to, I'm going to laugh or I'm going to say something funny and see how it lands because that's who I am. In one department I was in, it seemed like the male professors were always the ones telling the jokes and laughing and getting everybody to laugh. But if a female professor tried to do that, nobody laughed. And I just noticed the stark difference between how it seemed like my interpretation of this situation was that the men could be the jokesters and the women had to constantly be serious all the time. Well, I mean, I'm also a funny person and I, I felt like I couldn't laugh. I felt like I couldn't say funny things. 
And eventually it started grating on me because my thinking was, why are these dudes telling these jokes all the time? Like, why is this their role? And why don't women get the same role, the same opportunity to be funny? Because they are. They are funny. These women were funny. And so I just, I started doing it a little bit, doing what the men did in terms of saying a sarcastic line here or there or telling a joke. And nobody laughed because I knew, I knew that the roles and the expectations were different and I was a woman doing this and apparently we're not allowed to be funny or whatever the case may be. But it was authentic to me to not just live in this role that the department had relegated for me, consciously or unconsciously. It was probably unconscious, right? But I recognized it. I was like, why did the, why did the guys get to be funny? Like, why is that their department role? Like, the jokester. And, like, the women are not afforded the same opportunity. So you may notice, like, some of these norms and you want to work against them. And you might just need to start small or you might need to have a plan in advance of, of what you want to say. Write it down in a notebook. Like if a topic comes up and you know that there's something that you really need to say so that you act with integrity, write it down. Write down what you want to say in advance so that you have the words right there and say it. Or send an email after the fact. Or figure out how you're going to problem solve a solution for something that you believe is really important and important to your integrity to work on. There are different administrative tasks that I have where I believe that the outcome is very much tied to what my integrity is. And it really grinds my gears when I can't be involved with an administrative task in a way that is in alignment with my integrity. But so that being said, I am always thinking about ways in which I can head off the next situation or offer to take on the responsibility for the next situation so that I can act out in alignment with my integrity. And sometimes Unfortunately, we need to find other programs or departments to be in with people who are our people, people who are in alignment with us. We certainly do not get paid enough. I certainly don't get paid enough. We don't get paid enough to constantly be fighting the integral battles for an entire department on our own. And so there may be cases in which you just decide like, this is not going to work. I, I'm not paid enough. I'm certainly not respected enough and I'm not given a platform enough to act out in authenticity and integrity. And I'm going to have to take my attention elsewhere. And that, that may mean joining a club on campus. That may mean getting involved interdisciplinary uh, work with other departments and programs. Maybe you need to team up with a college of business or the college of ed or biology and you will find people who value what you value hopefully 
and you can act out with authenticity and integrity in your work. So just because your department may not have it or the team that you work with may not have it does not necessarily mean that you need to take the drastic step of leaving your job or your graduate program, although those may be important steps too for your own sanity to do, but there may be places on campus where you can also get involved or within the community where you can live in authenticity and integrity. So I just, I want you to practice, if you can, stopping pleasing others in your areas of life and identify where you can practice that. Don't try to take it on all at once. Maybe write in your journal, what areas could you practice this semester? One or two. One or two things that you can try this semester in your program or department or class where you will practice authenticity and your own integrity. And it may not go well, and that's okay. It's part of the learning curve. It's part of learning who's safe and who's not, where you can be vulnerable and where you can't be vulnerable, or maybe when something doesn't land well and you need to rethink your delivery or your approach. But what are one to two ways that you can practice in your academic life being authentic to yourself and having that integrity that I know that you have? All right, friends, have a really great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.